back to the Nugzi Sportscast. I'm your host, as always, Jamie Nugabar, and I'm thrilled to have uh, on the line uh, a guy that just seems to win wherever he goes, a guy that uh, I owe a lot to, gave me um, great opportunities, uh, sort of my first kind of big opportunities in junior hockey, and um, taught me so much and, and was so uh, gracious and kind to me. Uh, for many, many years, and a guy that I'll forever look up to and be grateful for, or to as well, is uh, the head coach and general manager of the Odessa Jackalopes of the North American uh, Hockey League. It is Jason Fortier. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Jamie. Uh, I appreciate all the kind words. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know... Uh, uh, at, the, at the risk of blowing too much smoke up your you-know-what, um, and, and for anybody out there that's listening that um, you know that, that works with me or has worked with me, the teams that this guy coached uh, in terms of closeness, in terms of um, talent evaluation, in terms of um, you know coaching, uh, I think I compare a lot of them to, to those teams and, uh, and to the work that you and your staff different staffs and we had we had a lot of fun uh, over the years uh, with all those guys and, and women as well uh, I think I compare every team to, to those in, in some ways so um, yeah I certainly certainly appreciate all of it uh, my first question for you Forch uh, is uh, you know believe it or not uh, and uh, don't get mad at me for saying this but um, you know you've been coaching for 17 years now um, how, how do you feel like you've changed as a coach uh, in, the, in those last 17 years? Well, I would say uh, I kind of feel sorry for the first uh, four of them. Uh, that group, those group of kids probably got, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of passion, a lot of passion put out on them. And, you know, we had such a, a good young guy uh, playing for us when I was coaching midget. And you know, it was a different type of program. We were in uh, the bottom of the barrel type. The organization was a little low, and every team we're having was, you know, coming up from 11 or 12. And I think that's probably what I believe helped me uh, the most is having those teams and having to rebrand culture, rebrand. And essentially what I do is I, I kind of thought about how I acted as a player and what my attitude was and then what not to do. That was my what not to do guide uh, from using my playing background. But 17 years, um, that's a... Uh, that's a long time, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like it's been 17 years because for for most of that time, for you know, 12 years, I worked full-time, and I had a full-time job. Hockey was my hobby. I still have my spring business, still do that, but I still had to get up every morning, do your job, leave work for 4.30, go to the rink. So it wasn't until the last five years I just I decided to go all in in hockey. Yeah, fair enough. Uh and, you know, for those that don't know, uh, started with the, the Vaughn Kings and the GTHL, um, the, the good old Al Paladini Community Center. And, um, you know, of course, uh, of course, bring back, uh, bring back some memories. Um, I, I guess, how is the job of coaching, do you feel, uh, how, how do you feel like it's changed in junior specifically in terms of communicating with the players uh, over the time that you've um, been involved with junior hockey specifically, or, or has it changed at all? I think a lot of people have tried to create change and force change. Um, I think a lot of people are trying to complicate things 
Um, relationships are relationships at the end of the day. You either have them or you don't. And you can either choose to get to know the players you coach, and that's up to the individual. Uh, I think today's premise of coaching is we talk about being softer, being, you know, the kids can't handle as much, whereas I disagree. I think the players of today can handle just as much as anyone from before. They just need to know that you care. They just need to have dialogue. They need to have a buy-in incentive of, you know, they're a part of the choice. You just can't tell them, hey, this is how it goes. There's opportunities for them to have a voice, and it's not for every decision, but it is an opportunity that if you're all going to be in the same, you know, the same boat here trying to pull on the oars, there's going to be a guy telling you how to do it. But at the end of the day, the guys that pull the oars, they still have to have an opinion and maybe come up with some ideas. Um, I, I, I really believe that hockey today is the better game. It's different. The players today are great. Like, I'm thankful. I love having relationships with the kids. And I actually don't want to be their best friend. I don't want them to love me. I don't want them to think, you know, oh, Jason Forte's nice. I want them to be on edge at times, knowing that, you know, I have high expectations. You know, there's somebody over top that's always watching. You know, you don't want to take the day off because you could get called out on it. But also know that, hey, if there's anything serious, come talk to me. You know, even if it's just for fun, even if we just want to laugh after, you know, there's, there's, there's a, let's get down to business, but then after, hey, let's enjoy uh, each other's company. Let's talk and, you know, tell a few jokes and laugh. Yeah, and one of the one of the ways that I, I felt like uh, you were, uh, I guess, so good at doing that, I'm sure, you, you know, you do it everywhere you go, is um, you really kind of promote uh, competition through... You know different different things. I don't want to don't want to give any trade secrets that that you that you do. But um, you know, obviously there was that big you know big ping pong tournament that we had uh, with the the Patriots, um, you know over those over those years and uh, and whatnot. Where did you kind of come up with or learn or think about um, you know developing that that internal competition through through fun and having those things that are um, you know kind of even a little bit formalized. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, thing, things that, that you even kind of kind of set up just so that the guys are competing but also having fun with each other? Well, that's a good question. It's kind of, I think, something that, you know, the longer you coach, you come up with different ideas and you're trying to bring bring people together, unite them, you know, and have... You know, I guess there's a couple mandates for teams I coach. I won't go into that, but one of the big mandates for me is I want players to be able to coach each other. And in order for them to coach each other, we have to put them in a scenario where it's a little Lord of the Flies, where there are going to be some people that jump out ahead, and there are going to be some guys get pushed to the back of the line. Hmm. And it's not going to be decided upon your personality. Your, your, your could be have great charisma. It could be, you know, the greatest guy on the team when it comes to playing a video game. But it's what are your raw emotions when you're competing against another guy? And if I don't have to be the one to criticize, and if my own team can say, hey, you know what, maybe in week one they're not going to bug you. You know, you do a couple competition games. It's fun. Guys are laughing. As the season progresses, you start to see a few of the guys, you know, whittling away at some of the players saying, hey, you know what, I don't want him on my line or I don't want him on my team during this drill. And they tell them straight up, okay, you've got to compete harder. You know, we want to win because there's stuff at stake. And, you know, uh, meals are always going to be at stake for different things, different competitions. Right now we've added in a different thing that I kind of – from when I was with Ruan Durand and I've tweaked it to make it a little bit of my own but you know, we do uh, we do a draft and we have compete practices where we have different colors and you know the winners the winners they, they ante in so they put a little pot together and the winners take the 
take the pot away if they win. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's something where I think if kids really want to have fun, they want to get back to the grassroots of the game. And, you know, when I was going to the outdoor rank, there was no more fun than that. So I figured we'd add in some of that and put in a little bit of structure and voila. Yeah. I, I always, again, don't, don't want to, don't mean to blow smoke up, but, uh, I thought that was just that was awesome <laughs> back in the day, and again, I'm sure I'm sure the teams that you have coached since uh, since feel the same way. Uh, you know, so I'm going to move forward to uh, to reminiscing just a little bit, uh, specifically the the three seasons that you and I um, worked together. If that's okay, if uh, if if you, you know, and, and if you're like, oh, I don't remember that specifically, that's cool. But I'm sure I'm sure you remember everything. Um, but, uh, you know, f- first of all, the 2011-12 Vaughn Vipers team that um, you uh, got me uh, or inv- uh, included me in, I guess. And I, again, I'll, I'll always uh, appreciate that. And it meant a lot. And I loved uh, loved working around those guys. And, you know, a- Anthony Master de Casa was awesome as a captain. But you had such a, such a young group, such a young core of guys that turned into unbelievable players, lots of Division One guys, lots of guys who went on to dominate uh, the Ontario Junior Hockey League. Uh, how do you kind of remember, you know, that season? Well, I remember that season fondly. Um, you know, there's also some heartache in that one, too. That's uh, That was the year uh, I went through my divorce, so that was uh, mm-hmm. a tough one. But I actually remember that as, as a great learning tool because of you said all those great kids that we had that were young and you know they stuck with me during a tough time at the start of the season when I was going through uh, a separation and you know knowing that they were there and you got something to get to the rink and you're you're dealing with whatever stressful moments and you know we talk about stress at the end of the day it's it's life and then um, but then you get to go to the rink and then you see these kids and over the years you see how they progressed and developed and you're like well what if and then fortunately enough you know, I got to get a second chance in that league with a with a team, and you know, I got to put the what if theory, and you know, could I build it with this mentality? And um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a great year. Yeah, it was really cool. You know, one guy I want to talk about, uh, you know, specifically, um, you know, from that group was a guy that uh, you know, I guess. By the end of end of his junior A career, it looked like maybe the OJ was was kind of easy for him in terms of Steve Haladin and um, you know he was a kid I guess that had a had a had a shot in uh, the BC League, but uh, boy oh boy was he was he good sort of right the, from the beginning for you? Uh, did you know how good uh, how good he could be uh, when when you when you first signed him, or or was he a project to you? No, I, I thought he was a project, but not a project in talent. He was a project in habits, in desire, in, you know, he had the skating and the stick, stick, stick skills. He just needed to be past the barrier of compete. Would he be able to bring that on a nightly basis? Um, and that was just something that I, I in, my, in my showing of him, when I watched him, when I, my viewings, it was kind of like, uh, you know, that was my, my kind of, fear that that maybe he's not going to compete hard enough because there's a lot of talented hockey players that they can play in the league. I, just because I don't think a guy can play for me doesn't mean he can't play in the league, but it's, I want to have success. And sometimes certain players don't translate into team success as easy, you know, it depends on what stage of your team, you know, what type of team you have, you can add in different pieces depending on the stages that you're in. 
and you know culture will create something. But Paladin um, was a guy that I, I committed to him as a 13 to 12 forward. Um, said to him, "You're just gonna have to come here and work. And I know your talent's here, but you know we're gonna have to show him what you can do." And he was just very, uh, very heady. Had good IQ right off the hop, great skater, and um, you know competed really well. And I think Steven's the type of kid that, with with the right coaching, you know he's successful no matter what. Like you put him in the right situation, he he can play because he's got an IQ. He can skate. Um, now he had some really elite years with Georgetown after, but. Um, you know, maybe struggled a bit in D.C., but didn't have a long showing there. We don't know. Maybe was he homesick, but maybe wasn't getting the love for the type of coaching. You know, sometimes that happens for players, too. So I can't comment on his career after I had him, but I just always knew that he had the potential of pushing himself hard enough to be successful. Yeah, clearly he worked well with uh, Greg Walters, obviously, as a lot of kids do. It's dead, so, um, you know, kudos to those guys. Uh, for sure, yeah. Let's let's move forward uh, to the the year that uh, you know ultimately ended up with a trip to the to the RBC Cup, and um, you know what a what an interesting group uh, with the Toronto Lakeshore Patriots, I guess as they were called at the time. And uh, you know you move the team to a new rink. Uh, you have a mishmash of guys that you brought in, guys that Mike Tarantino had been bringing in and and, and working with, and uh, you had young guys, you know. That that uh, you know Mike Prapovesis and um, Jacob Hayhurst and and kind of the list goes on. It was such an interesting uh, group, and it turned into it seemed like a, as complete a, a group as I've seen in a in a junior A team in terms of being able to win different ways. Uh, where where does that group kind of rank for you uh, in terms of completeness at the level that they're at? Well, it, it's it's funny because you know the group wasn't. We didn't think we were going to win that year. It was there was a lot of things that fell into place, but uh, as far as character and um, just a quality group of people, uh, I I love that team. I love those guys, and um, I don't know if they rank like it's not a one, two, three, four, five type ranking. It's just you know you you've done everything and you've exceeded you've exceeded every goal that you've thought imaginable for something as a team, and so when you achieve that greatness. There's, you can't put that in the words. It's hard to describe because, yeah, you dream of that possibility. You dream of, hey, this could happen. But when it comes becomes a reality, it's overwhelming. You don't you don't quite understand it. And the, the bond you build with those guys, it's uh, it's tough. And that's why today, just talking about that's pretty emotional. Thinking about, you know, what could have been this season with our team that we had in the BCHL, we were built eerily, eerily similar. Um, as far as character and as far as being able to win different ways, so uh, I, I'm I'm obviously sad that we didn't get a chance to prove ourselves in the playoffs. But I, I think um, you know the the team that was in BCHL, I would say was a better. It was definitely a better team than the Patriot team. Mm-hmm. Talent wise, we were just deeper, stronger. We were we were we were ready to come out. But that's also when I was with the Patriots, we didn't have one the ability to recruit the same way you're in you're in the ojhl you pick up a phone as a coach you call a kid um they're interested they'll talk maybe some kids might not even get back to you bchl 95 percent of those kids are coming they want to come or they'll call you call you back so Mm -hmm. it's an easier recruit process but as far as you know being able to, to to win that championship with the patriots and then 
use what I learned there down the road. And I still talk to those kids. Like we still, I still talk to Shire, Bratz, Fair, um, you know, Lauer. And if anybody I'm missing right now, obviously I talk to probably 10 or 12 of those guys regularly. And then another six or seven every once, every couple months. So yeah, they've impacted my life in a way that, uh, you know, is indescribable. Yeah. I, no question. I, the, me, me too. Like certainly. And I think everybody that was around that group, uh, kind of echoes, echoes the, those sentiments, you know, I, 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 one of the memories from that year that I'll never forget was, a, it was around the trade deadline. And I think, I think we were about to play Oakville and, uh, and and you you walked up to me and you said uh, you said you know if you were to pick one goalie to bring in uh, from the league that you think would help us win a championship who would it be and I was like well it's obviously Evan Beitenheis and uh, like you said well hold on to that thought or something like that and then obviously you got him um, you know where does where does bringing him in rank uh, among some of your best moves you think. I wish I could take all the credit, and I hate Mike Tarantino for it. He'll probably <laughs> lift to this because he might hope his name gets uh, oh yeah uh, said during this podcast. He, he deserves it too. Mike. He he deserves credit too for sure. Yeah, it was it was basically all Mike Tarantino. It's like I was right. uh, most of, of everything we did that year. That was the least I was really involved. Like I was all for like we talked and like hey we might be able to do this and do this. We talked. I gave my opinion, and I was like, hey, this is what I want. Just like let's let's get it done, yeah. and like whatever you, whatever we got to do, and then so we made a deal early in the season in order to get that that trade done. So we traded a good player on our team that was committed yeah. in order to facilitate that trade down the future. And you know Mike Daly obviously helped us out. He was the the GM at time, and he stuck to his word. So I'll always respect Mike for that. Um, he just said, if we make this trade now, I promise you, I'll trade you him at the deadline. Um, if we're not in it. And so that's where we, we gave him a piece and, you know, we both kind of gambled, but yeah, you know what, Mikey, uh, Mikey did a good job uh, on, on a few of those trades. Like, you know, I'm a bit of a bull in a China shop. Mikey likes to finesse and twirl his hair a bit. <laughs> and um, it worked pretty good in the tandem. And, you know, I owe a lot to Mike Tarantino. He, uh, he had basically stepped away from that team and chose me to take it over and thought I I was the one that could do the job to get him over the hump. Um, you know, he had a child, so he needed to take time away. And it was a good time in his life, too, to get away and maybe watch a different personality. And then eventually, he, you know, he was able to win uh, in the OJHL. But he, he'd already won before in midget, but some people didn't know that. Uh, but Mike Tarantino knows, right, Mike? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he won. He, I think he, uh, he won the Telus with some kid named Andreas Sogas. Is that, I think that's... Uh... We didn't good. win the Telus. He didn't win the Telus. I think they, they lost uh, right. in the Telus. But, but right. they did really well, and you're right. Sogi, uh, Sogi was on that team, and that was a big reason why we got Sogis as well, because that relationship. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you talk about, um, you know, the deal that brought in uh, Evan Beitenheis, who I still tell people is the best goalie I've ever seen in, in a junior A league, um, personally. I'm sure there, you know, have been better, but I personally what i've seen um you know performance wise and then the deal that you talk about a d1 kid well uh, matt mcleod the guy who who sent back the other way just had a very good uh first year in pro hockey in the east coast league so there you go that that kind of tells you the caliber of player that was 
was going back and forth. Pretty, pretty impressive. And boy, could Maddie McLeod fly. Good grief. Uh, what a skater. Um, again, uh, you know, obviously we could talk about all this for, 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 for hours and hours and, and, uh, you know, appreciate, uh, appreciate your time here on a, on a Monday, uh, I guess coming up on, uh, to noontime. Um, you know, one kid, again, I, I got, got to ask you about that team. Uh, again, we could talk about every kid on the team cause it was such a, again, special, special group. Um, but, uh, you know, probably, uh, you know, if Boots was the most dominant, you know, goalie that I've seen, maybe Mike Prapovesis that year was as dominant a skater as I've uh, seen in terms of what he was able to do in terms of what he, um, you know, what he did in terms of his skill set. And he was a kid, I guess, that was, um, you know, uh, off of a year where he split time between midget and, and junior um, the year before. But uh, did you know, did you have a sense that he was going to be as dominant as he was that year? I didn't. Uh, I knew he was good. And I remember I was coaching Midget, um, and he was supposedly going to play for the Patriots, and then he ended up back in Midget. So I remember we were playing, and we, we just played them, and the kid was on the ice for 35 minutes, and I called Tarantino at the time, who was coaching the Patriots, and I was only coaching Midget, and I said, hey, you need to take this kid now. Like, he is good. Yeah. If you don't take him now, you won't get him, and, and you can get him right out of Midget. Like, he is – and I remember we are talking, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm – you know, I, I, I just don't want to get anyone mad. Like, I really like him. He's been playing good. So, um, and I and I don't want to be like, well, he took because I called. But no, it was just, I validated what Mike already felt. And um, so the next year, I remember we talked to Mike and perhaps that is, and perhaps was kind of thinking about USHL and you know, wasn't sure. And we convinced him to say, well, just stay and, you know, develop here. You can always get to there down the road. And, I think if you talk to Preps, I, I think one of the big things for him is he probably should have played an extra year before he went to college and went into freshman. But he was dominant uh, with his brain. That's, you cannot teach IQ of that nature and, and vision to make plays. Um, but that being said, I, I, he was a good defender as well. Like In our league, he didn't have to defend too many big bodies that are going to stop and, you know, puck protect, turn back. Like there wasn't a lot of that in our league. It was a little bit more of a of a puck possession type, try and score. If not, you know you're going to make one play and then move. So it was a little bit different uh, type of defender and type of guys he'd have to defend. Then when he gets to college, you know you're defending against you know, the best of the best at that age. So it's a little bit more challenging. And I know he did really well in college. But, you know, that being said, it's easier to win when you're physically strong. And I think one more year to get physically stronger probably could have helped them, too. Yeah, and, and to your to your point uh, about when he was in the OJHL, he's probably, his plus minus was probably plus a bazillion because the puck was never in his end, I feel like, when he was on the ice. Anyways, because, you know, you just give him the puck and he was he would break it out somehow, so... Um, you, you felt like the team was never in trouble when he was on the ice. Uh, you know that kind of that kind of leads me to my question. Uh, I don't know if this is again uh, painful memory, but I do have to ask you about a pretty specific situation, if that's okay. Um, if uh, if you if you can recall the you know obviously sort of around a minute left in the RBC Cup against Vernon, uh, you know down two one uh, in a in a raucous barn there in Vernon, BC against the Vipers. Um, you call call a timeout, and uh, you know you end up having the goalie pulled, and 
whatever. Did you tell props to be in front of the net or was that just that he knew what to go in sort of a desperation situation or what, do you remember what you kind of said to the guys in that moment? No, that was, that was 100% all coaching. Um, no, you know what? Uh, I would say, I couldn't even tell you what we called. I know we would have, we would have already practiced something and uh, had a game plan, but obviously perhaps it was a kind of activating D. So it would have been something he felt was the right play. And, um, you know, it's definitely not something the coach would have designed for him to be down there doing that. Uh, that's just good hockey players making good plays. And um, I remember, yeah, and you know what? That was a tough tough way to end uh, the RBC Cup, but we got a lot out of what we had. And, um, you know, the last couple of years, I think uh, in my, my time, I never lost to Vernon since then, since I was in the BCHL. So <laughs> I guess that, that, that crappy, uh, what we want to call, shoddy ref, refereeing and shoddy, uh, you know, what I call honest game management by probably the way it was. I didn't like it, but uh, yeah. you know, eventually came back to haunt them. <laughs> yeah, there you go, karma. Yeah, so again, for those for those that are listening that are curious, uh, boys, boys play pretty hard, tie it up 2-2 with a great goal. By uh, by Mike Prapovesis, and and I remember uh, you know doing the post game interview with you. You know I, I mentioned I I, I I guess I thought I saw that Nate Farrick had thrown it out in front, not not blind. I, I said blind, not in sort of a in a that he you know he wasn't he wasn't you know being smart way, but just you know trying to throw it out in front, see what happens. But you said no, he took a look and and threw it out there. Give him a little credit. And uh, it's amazing how you remembered that Nate Farrick uh, took a took a peek for a second because I didn't see that until I looked at the video later. But he threw it out in front, and, and Prapovesis ties it up with seven seconds, and then pretty terrible high sticking call against Kevin Shire in overtime, um, and then Vernon scores in overtime. So uh, there's a there's a little context, and I couldn't uh, couldn't agree with you uh, more. So glad to hear that there's a little a little I guess karma karma coming back. Um, for sure. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's move forward then, uh, you know, the, the next year, uh, you know, you have, uh, an extremely uh, young team, but you also, you know, w- one point I, I want to ask you about, uh, is you had, uh, a lot of young guys coming in that were winners and you, you talk about, uh, you know, Jeremy Polara and Botso and, and Louis DiMatteo had just gone far in the TELUS. I know it was pretty heartbreaking with, uh, with the Nats and what happened with the TELUS. And I know you were still involved. Um, and then obviously Matt Cairns had just won the OHL Cup, and Emmanuel Vela had just won the GTHL uh, League, uh, the Minor Midget League. So was it a focus of yours to try to bring in guys that were winners, or was it just also just good players, or was that a thought that you had? Well, I always try and grab players from winning programs. That's that's the part of what you're looking for: guys that can play big minutes on teams that win, because that means they're trusted and and they've got the ability. It's not something that I only look at, but it's it's definitely a, a focal point. But again, it depends where your team's at. It depends where you're trying to be. We just came off of winning and lost you know, 12 to 14 guys. I can't remember the number right now off the top of my head. But we had a lot of guys gone, so we had to replace that. But we'd already branded a culture with the group that was coming back of, you know, that winning mentality and what it takes to win and, and the work ethic required. And we didn't want to, you know, just grab a bunch of guys that couldn't keep up. Uh, and didn't you know? Didn't want to be uh, on a championship team because I don't care what anyone tries to lie to me and tell me about. Um, I've been coaching this this age demographic for 17 years, and 
there are kids that do not care about winning. And there are athletes that would rather do well than have team success. And, and it's, that's their, that's their prerogative. That's their choice. You know, everyone's allowed to do whatever they want. I was that player at times. You know, and, and, you know, any of my former teammates, uh, I'm not proud of the way I, I acted or how I was, but I was a guy that was probably more focused on my own stats, but I wanted to win the game too. But I wanted to make sure I got what was mine. I wanted my ice time. I wanted this. So there's that mentality I understand. So I try and recruit. Uh, it depends on the year. I try and recruit a little bit uh, unique every year and make sure I'm trying to fill what we need, but uh, make 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 no mistake about it. Uh, if you're looking for guys that are going to be successful, uh, you know you got to look at some successful teams. Yeah, no, no question. And speaking of you know being on successful teams, um, you know that year you end up with uh, sort of Connor McDavid's minor midget goalie. Um, uh, you know, obviously far more than that. It turned out uh, obviously Matt Robson had. Um, you know, a difficult little time there when he was trying to break into the OHL out of out of the Toronto Marlies minor midgets, and um, you know had a, had a tough tough go. Obviously, he made some had some good performances in Lindsay, um, and, and I had him on my, the podcast recently. And you know, obviously, just a, a wonderful kid and a wonderful family, um, the, the Robson family. But uh, you know, at the time, there was. Uh, you know, there there was, didn't seem to me, didn't seem to a lot of people, I guess, that he was a sure thing. Uh, how much of a gamble did you feel it was bringing him in, or was it at all a gamble to you? Well, I didn't feel it was a gamble, but, uh, you know, I still remember how it all went down. I was, you know, those, I think something might have went out on a, on a trade wire or whatnot, and I was in Boston, and Daniel texted me and said something about, there's a goalie here we might want to look at. And uh, I knew him. I knew the father. And I said, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, I, I, I'll do some background, but, uh, you know, make sure you do some checking. He's like, yeah, you know, I think he could be a guy. And he was explaining about how we could rejuvenate that career. And sometimes a goalie needs that wake-up call. And um, so a lot of that was on Daniels. And then so I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be uh, I'm gonna be harsh when I talk to him. Then I'm going to call him. And I talked to the team and said, can I talk to him? And. I talked to Maddie and was pretty harsh and pretty straightforward and mm. see what kind of reaction I can get out of him. And, um, you know, he came in and was a great teammate and a great soldier for us. Yeah. And of course, you, you know, it's interesting. Like obviously the OJHL is was the, and I guess still is a younger league than some of the other leagues around. Uh, definitely the league that I work in now to think about an 18 year old goalie being the, the playoff MVP is, is pretty uh pretty pretty crazy but pardon no he's still here but uh yeah but in terms of in terms of his performance uh you know definitely definitely you know very impressive uh, you know to what degree did he even you know go up beyond what you even expected and could have hoped for well he obviously uh developed all year and started really kind of stepping up and you're like oh he's really surprising you're kind of becoming that that elite goalie and um you know he earned the trust and the, the faith but i think a lot of that had to do with just having a guy daniel's working with him um made a big difference and then having you know one of the big things i talk about with our, our players all the time is just habits hmm. having habits for success having habits and technique to get you through when maybe you're not feeling your best or playing your best but your habits are going to 
define when you make critical errors and that mental that mental sharpness of you know staying in the moment even though you're lethargic maybe you can still be in the moment and be lethargic for a bit where you're not making you know totally totally terrible plays it's just it's something that you know we're trying to work with players and um you know it's it's something that i think with robson that that practice mentality really started to take a turn for him and i remember he probably hated me some days because i'm all over him and i and i think every goalie i've coached and i've had some really good ones and i like to take a little credit for it but maybe i try and practice a way for them and understand it but you know i'm probably all full of BS on that, but truthfully, um, I think I think just that mentality of you know, getting after a goalie sometimes in practice, let him know that hey, no, 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 this is where we need you. Some of these drills are going to be for goalies. Some of these are going to be game situational. Do your best. Some of them are just for the player. Yeah, you're going to get shots. It's not going to be game like, but you still got to try and stop them. And I'm not saying give 100 percent and go crazy and dive all over, but there's some that are game situation. You are 100 percent dialed in. Others were helping you track your shots, be dialed in. Yes, and then some of them are, are whatever you want to call uh, some flow drills where they're not game situational uh, or POPs or different things like that. But then, you know, you have some compete stuff in practice and some goalies, you know, can look a million bucks in, in one-on-one shooting drills. The minute you start adding in different layers in three zones, east-west, getting goalie, sometimes they struggle. And it's a good way for guys to improve that and, I thought Maddie did a did a tremendous job of developing that year and turning into an elite goaltender. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also, you know, gotta gotta quickly mention that Emmanuel Vela um, did a did a fantastic job at different times uh, during the year as well, and and turned into a, an outstanding uh, OHL goalie too. So and a, and a great great young man. And obviously, you know, you think about Matt Mark Manalescu and uh, Jeremy Helvig the year before the, the job they did as well. Um, you had some great goaltending for sure uh, over those years, um, but uh, I guess how do you how do you compare and contrast uh, you know those two teams? I know you had you know, guys back that were critical, critical guys. Uh, you know, Nico Kovacic was great both here. Jacob Hayhurst, you know, Ryle Ledyard was a great guy for you both years. Marcus Rose or City Serdic, you know, Curry, Luke, Luke Carter, the list goes on. But uh, and Nate Farrick obviously too. But how do you compare and contrast how those two teams got the job done? Well, I think, you know, and this is not a slight at all to the second year, but I think the team the first year we won was much better than the second year. It was older. It was more mature. They were able to play heavier. Um, You know, I think that there was a little bit more continuity on the back end where, you know, we were a little bit more older, a little bit more poised. We had a little bit more jam. Um, but that second year, what we lacked maybe in, in, yeah, I think we had 10 rookies and what we lacked potentially in experience, we had enthusiasm. Mm. And then, you know, you factor in like you, I heard you did a little podcast with them already. And, you know, Ferraro was, you know, a catalyst as far as energy goes. I think everyone would say like, he's a bright, he's a bright light. He's a beacon whenever he enters a room, he's just got a lot of personality and and it's genuine. He's enthusiastic about life. Um, he's a good human being. So I think he was, as a 16-year-old, came in and was an immediate impact just on that alone. And I don't think he commanded any space, but it was everyone watched him from afar, and then to watch how he evolved, I guarantee every single kid in that team is super proud of him. Um, so we had a lot of guys like that. And then you add in our young guys that came in, the Polaris, the Boxos, um, you know, 
Hayhurst came up a little bit better because he was a year older. Rosie and, 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 you know, Nico had a good year. Like, there was just a lot of, there was just a lot of continuity from the guys that were there the year before. Then we got Weasel back, but Fair came back, uh, decided he uh, missed me and needed to come spend a little bit more time getting made fun of both times. And I'm sure, I'm sure he'll probably call me later and make fun of me about this podcast for saying Weasel, but, um, you know what, like, I think the rookies we had were good, talented kids, but the leadership we had was really what carried us over. And you know, the goaltending was, you know, the defining part of both teams. Yeah, no, uh, no question. Great, great goal. And obviously the, the proof is in the pudding in terms of, you know, professional, professional guys, you know, from that group. You know, you have you have guys that have signed NHL contracts. You have NHL draft picks in that group of goalies. So, um, you know, definitely very impressive. Um, another another point uh, that that seemed to be pretty critical, and definitely you know down the stretch in the regular season and and into the playoffs. You know, obviously at the trade deadline, you you make another big move in in adding Mitch Emerson, who who turned into a, a really key contributor. Um, but in terms of the chemistry that uh, Nate Farrick and uh, Mitch Emerson and Jacob Hayhurst had together. Where does that that line rank in terms of uh, what you've seen in your in your coaching career? Because it seemed like they had some incredible chemistry too. Yeah, I thought I thought they were good. I, like I, again, I don't think there's been one line. Like I think if you talk to most guys that have played for me, I don't leave the line together. You know, the whole season. I like to I like to jumble them. Maybe during playoffs, there's a little bit more continuity, and you'll find that they'll stick together. But um, I think I think. That line was good, but we had a couple other lines that, you know, have had continuity. You know, the year before was Rosie, Carter, Hayhurst. That line really, mm-hmm. you know, was a third line for us, but they really got the job done both ways. Um, you know, and then you see with Eric when he came back, and not a knock on Eric, but when he came back, he wasn't, you know, probably exactly where he was the year before. He still played, but he didn't have that spark. Then Hayers was just a year older, and then, you know, obviously, had gotten that much better in a year, and was able to make a, a big impact on that line. And then with Mitch coming over, he was fresh, it was new, you know, he was a good, good puck guy from the blue line in, made a lot of good plays, and was a was a complimentary piece because he he didn't mind shooting the puck, and those other guys, if they could, they'd be stick handling the puck past the goal line. Yeah. Yeah, it just a good point too about 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 how you know Nate Farrick and also you know he had all that that great chemistry you know all, all those years with Doug Bonner, also uh, you know with 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 uh, Mike Tarantino's team coming up coming into when you you were there too and and he with uh, with them with Shire was such a good line and then that left uh, Sogus to to have a you know a different matchup with the D whoever he was with and that was a, probably a real problem for other coaches who did. Who do you match up against? So, um, you know, definitely, definitely pretty impressive uh, groups. Um, and, and Nate Farrick again, you mentioned him. Uh, you know, he he was still so I, still so effective. I feel like uh, you know he found a way eventually to 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 be very effective. And, and kudos um, to him. Uh, you know, yeah, one guy sure. one guy I want to talk about too uh, is uh, one of my all time favorite players. Uh, obviously, you've got lots and lots of favorites, but uh, um, you know there'll never be to me that there'll never be another Marcus Rose. Uh, it, where does he kind of rank in terms of uh, you know unsung heroes, guys that make a difference, make an impact? Uh, where does he rank for you? 
Who was that, sorry? Marcus Rose. Marcus Rose. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him now. Okay, yeah. No, he, he Marcus, uh, obviously, I got a, I got a pretty, uh, pretty keen memory, and he's, uh, he's been one of those kids that I talk about. You know, when you can impact a coach, and, you know, coach still talks about you, you know, years later, talking to this mythical kid that, you know, you as a coach, I bring up other players I've coached. And sometimes I do it, and the kids probably look at me and go, like, what is this coach talking about? Yeah. But I'm like, hey, I had a player, and, you know, I, and it's not just Rosie, it's numerous kids who I've coached over the years that I tell their story or a moment in their story when I'm trying to maybe convince the team about something. Um, and Marcus, you know, often makes you know the topic of conversation for me, and um, and it's not always good. Like sometimes I'm talking about different things that you know for Rosie I might have wanted, but uh, he was definitely a player that anybody who played with him loved him. He was a warrior. Yeah. He did not care whatsoever what stick you gave him. You gave him this stick. Yeah. All right. I'll play with it. Yeah. He didn't care. Oh, the glove's got a hole in it. Yeah, no worries. Why'd you come tell me? I didn't know your glove had a hole. <laughs> Who cares? Like, it's fine. I'll play. He was just one of those players that maintenance free. Didn't need to worry about Rosie. And uh, you know, me and him probably have a lot of laughs and a lot of stuff on the podcast that we probably wouldn't divulge all the info on, on various different things. Uh, you know, stuff I probably joked around with him about or tried to get mad at him and. and force him to try and do something different and Rosie's always been a kid that uh, is well received by his coaches and teammates so I, I can't say enough about him yeah just lots of just so, so much energy and, and so much compete and um, and was, scored so many big goals as well uh, seemed like when he did score it was so clutch so um, you know definitely sort of the playoff the playoff type kid type of kid you want to so give him give, give him a ton of credit to that um, and then you know, obviously, you you move on, um, you know, from from that year, and and you you head into the major junior ranks for a little bit. Uh, what was the adjustment like to to major junior in terms of, you know, the different level like level of travel and and the different level of play? Or uh, was there was there an adjustment at all for you uh, in, in that spending time in the Q and in the OHL? Yeah, I think there's always an adjustment. Like I was nervous when I went up, um, then when I went to the Q and. I really didn't understand how many people wouldn't speak English um, yeah. on my team. Uh, you know me, I like to be a, suffocate some of the oxygen some days in the room by talking. And you know, uh, I go up there and I talk to the guys and give them, you know, kind of today's little chore stuff, or what we're looking to get out of the day. And it was, you know, day one of training camp, and, I, and I'm like, you know, trying to say like quirks and little funny little jokes and little things, and hardly anyone even has a smile. They're mm-hmm. like terrified, so I have to stop and be, hey, you guys all right? Is everyone nervous? And and then like I'm like, the so one of the kids says, "Hey, uh, Jay, nobody understands your jokes. <laughs> nobody understands because they, it's all slang talk. It has nothing to do with proper English." Right. And so I'm like, "Oh, I really had to learn that." And then it, I thought Quebec really helped me a lot too because you had to describe a lot of things in more detail and less, you know, just go here and go there and do this had to be a lot more descriptive because of the language barrier mm. so it did help me it did help other areas but it was a perfect time for me to go to that program because of you know the coaching staff that was there before and who was there then you know it was a little bit more you know straight lay straight up gonna coach you 
you know, come into the ring, punch in, punch out. You know, it wasn't like a whole lot of let's let's build a family here and let's let's get to know you. How you doing? What's your name? Where are you from? Kind of attitude. Uh, it was it was a little different, but you know, Joe Bouchard was a was a guy that I probably would have been hard to have as an assistant coach. My first year with him, he probably didn't love a lot of the things at first. You know, how, how energetic, probably and rambunctious, and uh, I'm I'm I don't think I, I wanted to stop kind of looking and talking and, and teaching, but uh, he did a good job with me. You know what? He he gave me my space. We had a few little battles early about things. I stood my ground. He was willing to let me have an opinion. And that, that says a lot about an individual that you can have a problem on something or you can have a disagreement or you can have a philosophical difference. As long as it's not going against the culture and against, you know, the goodwill of the hockey program and you're not embarrassing anyone, then, you know, those are, those are productive. And so we had some productive times and it worked out pretty well for us at the end and I was thankful for the opportunity. Yeah, and obviously, you know, especially, you know, in Rwanda, Randa, you had uh, just an just a outstandingly talented uh, hockey team as well. Uh, you know, obviously, Timo Meyer went on to be a, a top 10 pick in the in the draft to, to San Jose. He's a teammate of Mario Ferraro's now, I guess. Uh, what was what was he like to, uh, to work with? Obviously, he's, you know, off to a great start in his uh, NHL career. I think there was a lot of guys. Like it was a, it was a huge jump as far as when I left. I left the Toronto Patriots, back-to-back champs. You know, kind of felt like, yeah, I'm, I'm on top of my game. I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I do video, got this down. Yeah, no problem, Steve. I get to Quebec and I think I've got a lot of answers. And then I get to there and it's wow. It's like there's these players are pretty good. They're in, they're they're there a lot longer. They're intense. These kids were at the rank a lot, and they were doing a lot of workouts, and it was just a different level. And then when you get in a guy like Timo Meyer, who we got midway through a season, we were dominant. We were first in the in the Quebec League. Then when he comes into our place, he's a dominant player on a on a team in that league at any time he wants. But he's coming from a team that had success, but then now it's been you know not that great. He's probably playing thirty minutes a night, 27, 28 minutes a night. And coming to our team, and then you know he's only playing 20 minutes a night. It's a it's a change for him. And the one thing I could say is he's a great kid. I still talk to him. And him and Mario sometimes I'll get a photo from them. And um, he's a great kid. Just such an enthusiastic worker. He wants to get better. He would stay late. You know he'd put on some music and I'd chirp most of his selection. Mm-hmm. Um, but he'd stay late at the rank and work out. He'd be working on his hands and. We need every practice. He'd want to do something after practice, and it was a treat to uh, have somebody of that stature find that I can help them, find that there's value in me trying to help someone. And it doesn't always work that way. I've been on teams where some players don't don't really want help. They don't want coaching. They have their own little world of people. The winter time is their time to just put me on the ice, let me play. I'll do the practices, but my development is. With my people, I'm on the chart to get to the NHL. I've seen that attitude, and that doesn't really work that well. And then I've seen guys like Timo that it could have been our goalie coach, Joey Perricone, who hardly, you know, could hardly stick handle, even though he'll tell me he could. But he, he wasn't a great stick handler. Wasn't, but if Joey was there, he'd, he'd let Joey like feel like, hey, Joey can help me too. And Joey would be like, hey, he's such a good kid. You know, I can't even skate hardly. And, you know. Um, he wants me, hey, what do you think of this? So it was great to see that. And I'd probably go on too much about things. 
when I talk about players, but I can tell you that he uh, he was a treat to be around. No, not at all. I love uh, love hearing uh, love hearing people talk about players, and obviously, uh, you know, you you've been around so many and so many great ones. So I, I love hearing about it. Um, then you then you move on to uh, to Kitchener, where it's a situation where there's actually a, a couple guys, a whole bunch of guys who with uh, with OJHL experience, I guess, on that Kitchener team. So maybe a little bit of familiarity uh, with you and. You know, I, obviously you guys get Jeremy Bracco back from um, college and, and, and obviously he's in the Leafs organization now. And, you know, Adam Maskerin had a massive year that year. And, um, you know, Joey Gareffa, you know, proving that he's so, so versatile, played forward ND and uh, pretty interesting group. I guess not not the same level maybe of ex- expectation and talent maybe as the, as the Ruan Aranda team that you were on. But uh, what was that experience like in Kitchener? You know what, I enjoyed Kitchener. Um, I got to tell you, the only part about Kitchener that, you know, was tough sometimes was, you're right, it wasn't the same, and I didn't have the same role. I was kind of the, the third coach there, or second coach, depends on how you want to look at it. But, so that was the tough part for me, especially going from being the boss, then going to be an assistant that had a lot of say and had a lot of duties for a two-man staff uh, on the bench and then a three-man in the office to know a program that has a ton of people working and they got you know everyone's a hockey guy there they got seven eight guys in the office talking hockey doing things so there's a lot more there's a lot more bureaucracy needed at that place and I don't think I'm I'm, I'm ever going to be a politician so there's no use me pretending and I'm very comfortable with who I am Um, so for me there it was a tough situation for that mindset but the guys I work with awesome individuals I got nothing bad to say about any of them. Um, we had a blast, and it, it was, to be honest with you, it was just unfortunate that at that time in my life, I was looking to really make my name, I guess, and I thought I had already kind of had a little bit of swagger to my name, and I was going to get an opportunity, and then going there, you know, I loved it, like I said, but it was just tough. I had to learn how to deal with things differently and handle things differently of, you know, how much you're doing and, and you know, working with Jay McKee and Matthew Barnaby was great. Like, you know, there's nothing I couldn't say. I couldn't have a contrary opinion. We were great. We worked well together. We talked. But again, it was I was looking for something a little bit more personally. I wanted to be, you know, running stuff. I wanted to run my own ship and, and get back to that. Um, and and I think for for the organization, they were looking for probably someone. Um, you know, once once they made a GM change, I know they were looking to maybe shake up the shake up the team and they were looking for something a little bit different where you know I think they brought they would bring in an assistant that's a little quieter a little bit low profile and you know that's somebody that they ended up bringing in to replace me that you know hey that's what they wanted to do and I, at, the, at the time I was crushed but you know looking back on it it was such a great development year for me as a coach that you know again I I think I, I think everyone in that organization would say I was respectful and you know, I was a first class guy there for them. But you know, there were some times that maybe uh, I don't believe that an assistant coach and I guess it's hard. Like an assistant coach has to be an assistant, and when you're the third assistant, you kind of really got to step back. And I'm sure there were times I was aggressive and got mad at things and hey, we got to do this and trying to forceful an opinion. And I think part of that is. Just being really passionate that maybe didn't work out that that time. 
Yeah, for sure. And that, that was one of the things I remember, um, you know, I remember talking to you. Uh, I mean, can't remember if it was in Vaughn or if it was it was Patriots. It was probably Patriots times. And, you know, the, the thing that you talked about always looking for other employees or players, you're always looking for people who are passionate and and who, who love the game and and but really that that passion that fire inside is something that you were always looking for so uh, when, when you talk about that that's certainly something that's genuine and authentic and uh, so I can certainly certainly hear what you're uh, hear what you're saying um, but you you know you, you move uh, you know on from that Kitchener opportunity and and you get um, you know a great I guess a great opportunity to um, I want, don't want to say a blank canvas but obviously it was a situation in Coquitlam uh, that 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 you know you went to work on and uh clearly clearly you know a couple of years there uh uh you know it turned around pretty well uh what was what was that you know like and what was kind of this the key to to some success i guess you could say uh for your time in coquitlam because definitely you had some successful years there well i think a lot of it is you know being able to find the right players that's a big part of it uh you know, coaching and coaching in hockey is having talent to to do well. Like I don't care if it's Scotty Bowman, um, Eddie Short, any of these guys, it doesn't matter. If you don't have the players, you don't have the talent to win. Every program is unique and different. Though when I was in Vaughn, our mission wasn't to win. Our mission was to develop and put kids somewhere and give them a secondary place. That was my first understanding. Oh, I'm in junior, awesome. Never win this model. Because we don't have the long-term plan. And then I knew, hey, next opportunity I get, we're going in to win it. doesn't mean that you got to spend money, but you got to have that mindset. And so we did that. So when I went to Coquitlam, I, I, they had already won in 2014. They had already won a national championship in 2006. But because they're a city team, that it always derived upon money and how much money somebody was going to invest into making sure it's successful. So how can we operate without spending more money so we just did the, the basic stuff that we felt was going to be necessary to have a good team um you know not skipping but not not going uh, excessive spending and you know we kind of brought in a bit of the patriot model as far as what we're going to be doing so like you know, i had to find ways to be creative because the budget was only x amount for billets but i wanted to have more players that, that could play and that sometimes it might have to be billets so we ended up uh putting in a fee, saying, okay, well, guys can pay for most of their billeting. Now, it was half the billeting fee, but still, uh, still 2500 bucks. It, it all starts to add up there, and that was what we had to do to survive. And even this past season, we were $3,500 to play there. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, the BCHL doesn't have – no, they have fees too now. Not every team, but not every team has them in the OJHL either. Hmm. So it just seems to be the way hockey's going. And then uh, to find our passion and our culture – where we want to be recruiting from, obviously you got to start from your own backyard. So we can't recruit your own backyard. You're not going to be a great team. So you got to start there. And I think we tried, we were failing a bit and it was hard to get guys to want to come. And, you know, slowly you get start getting a name and then you start doing some skates and start getting to know the younger kids. And then eventually some of those younger kids are like, Hey, I want to play for that guy or I want to play for that team. And so it happened fast. I was lucky to have some people around that put me in the right circles, and um, you know it was it was a it was a quick turnaround, that's for sure. But uh, to get to where we were this year, you know, I never would have guessed it. I dreamed about it, 
and then you know when we got there it was uh, it was quite impressive to see that group we had and, and man just a, a bunch of little pit bulls that never really worried about much get after them in practice call a guy out you know push them harder they never really flinched they were a team that was like hey we're here to get better every day if you think this is going to make us better let's go coach i'm in so it was a it was an unbelievable group and i don't think uh I think they're going to look back on this year as it's going to be remorseful for a lot of other teams as well. But like I said, to not be able to finish what you started, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you write a play or you write a movie script and you never get to finish the ending. So yeah. it's, it's tough. Yeah, that certainly, uh, that certainly is. And obviously, yeah, put together a great team with that Coquitlam Express, uh, club it would have been would have been awesome to see uh to see how far uh it would have gone one kid i gotta ask you about uh sort of from a personal standpoint um is a kid that you coach not this year but the year before uh in uh giuliano giuliano santa lucia his uh, older brother joe uh was uh on the the hounds team that i work for for a couple of years and just committed uh to to a school in bc but uh you know, obviously Giuliano was a young kid for you and and learning and growing, I guess. But uh, uh, what what was he like as a personality? I'm curious to curious if he's uh, like his brother. Well, so I didn't know I I didn't know either of them, and they skated with me a few times. Um, you know, once we acquired Giuliano, and I said his brother could skate with us. So his brother, you know, was skate with us. And I kept calling his brother Jersey Shore. <laughs> He reminds me of somebody from Jersey Shore. Um, you know, he had the tan, he had the hair all spiked up, and we were just getting ready to go on the ice. And I didn't know who he was. I just walked in and said, "Hey, uh, hey, who's this Jersey Shore?" You know, kind of. And he just everyone kind of got a laugh. But Giuliano just the kid doesn't stop laughing. Yeah, he's like every comic's best friend. Um, you know, he'd always just have kind of like a chuckle about something if he said some smile on his face. He heart and soul kid, great worker. Um, you know, didn't didn't have an issue with correction. He was one of those guys that you know he needed to work and, and make sure he just kept getting stronger because he started when he was young. Um, he wasn't going to be a power play guy. He was going to be a two way tough defenseman, and um, you know, just one of those kids that he fills out your roster and he's pretty low maintenance. Yeah, so, sounds pretty similar to Joe. Like not not big guys. Both of them can skate, but would def- Joe could definitely skate. Um, but uh, yeah, really hard, hard, hard nosed, I guess, and good leader, and um, definitely, definitely gonna miss Joe. And I'm sure Giuliano is a great character too, and I'm sure he'll do great wherever he goes if he stays in the Alberta League or or whatever. But uh, you know, well, when I say sure, and you think of Joe, does that kind of ring a bell right then and there? Oh yeah, for no no question, De- definitely. Um, you know, definitely uh, maybe a little bit more on the serious side than, than what you're mentioning about laughing all the time. But, uh, uh, you know, obviously the older brother, maybe sometimes they're a little bit more serious. But, uh, uh, you know, jo- Joe is, was in a lot of ways sort of the emotional leader of the team this past year. And, um, yeah, he, he de- definitely, uh, well, obviously, you know, coaching and working in Vaughn and in the Toronto area, you know a thing or two about, um, you know, young Italian players. So. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely fun to have uh, a lot of fun with those guys. And, and Joe loves, loved, Joe definitely loved his heritage, loves his heritage and, and kudos to him 
for that, no question. Um, definitely, we got to move on, though. Last question here uh, for you, Forch. And again, I know you and I could talk for hours and hours, and we have, and hopefully we will again. Um, but this new new opportunity you have in Odessa, obviously the North American League is doing such an amazing, amazing job at branding and, and getting kids committed, and uh, the, the level of hockey just keeps to keep getting going up as well, and um, you know, getting NHL draft picks even. It's pretty, it seems like they're doing an outstanding job, and, and it must be pretty cool for you to be a part of it. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, I had other opportunities at BCHL, other champs, other teams to, to go to, and I've had other null teams talk to me over the years. And um, You know, I chose Odessa, but part of that reason was I, I figured that U, that USA Hockey umbrella where, you know, the Nulls a national league where it's, you know, it's from coast to coast, and it's kind of got that flavor where, um, I feel like I can go into that league and, and recruit and find players, but also, you know, I've been in the Canadian model. I've done I've done a lot of work here, and it's nice to have a challenge. Okay, well, okay, can I can I go on foreign soil and, and try and go with what I believe in, how to build a team, and you know, the culture I want to have. You know, will it translate? And I believe it will. And um, you know, I I think the work ethic alone will, will step up and, and will be successful, but. Um, the Null for sure is getting a, you know, it's getting a lot of credibility right now. In the last couple of years, it's been making strides, and it's something that, you know, I, I don't want to say about any of the leagues, but there's a lot more parental involvement in hockey nowadays, in junior hockey. And I'm not saying it's not in every league, because it's in the OHL, it's in the Quebec, it's in the WHL, it's, it's in every league. But I think the Null has that... Uh, especially in that South Division, it's probably not quite as prevalent. So it's going to be something that I'm excited to uh, put together a program and see how it all plays out. Excited to, excited to live in Texas? It seems like a place that uh, you'd love. I think, I think so, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know like, what the uh, lifestyle is 100% going to be, but I can tell you during the season, I don't really have the life. Uh, I'm going to try and every year I say I'm going to try and change it. I'm going to try and get out of the office more and not focus on hockey so much, but it's hard to stop doing something you love. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely spend maybe a little bit more time outside over there. But um, once hockey season hits, I don't care. I could be in Beirut. It wouldn't really matter. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of on lockdown. So, and I think I've been in Rwanda Randa during that one year. It was tough at times, but even then, once you're in the hockey season and, it might be you might be uh, in the office and you might spend a little bit more time working on things than you probably should. And one thing that's nice is going to be well, there is the sunny day outside, so maybe that'll kind of get you out of the office more. Yeah, well, uh, and uh, to to your to your point again, uh, I talk about you know I feel like again with no disrespect to anybody, I'm always kind of comparing. You know, coaches and teams I work for to to you and and teams that uh, you've coached that I've worked with and and certainly I can echo that uh, you are somebody that definitely puts the the work in and you get you get rewarded for it. So, uh, you know, Forch, I really really appreciate uh, again, really really appreciate your time and uh, come on uh, the podcast again, why don't you? Well, I appreciate you talking to me and I apologize to all the. All the listeners that have to hear, uh, I've talked for an hour. <laughs>